how's it going, everybody? It is episode 82 here on Hawaii Football Now. Glad to have you alongside with my guy, Hunter Hughes. I'm Jordan Helley. As always, we record this uh, midweek, and today we uh, record Wednesday. It's uh, just past 7 o'clock in the morning. Hawaii time set to release this, as we always do on Thursdays mid-morning. Uh, so we'll get this up in about 24 hours or so. Wanted to start off with a quick opening drive. Wanted to give a shout out to the Rainbow Wahine. Great showing by Laura Beeman's women's basketball squad uh, over in LSU. Uh, I thought acquitted themselves very well. Actually played LSU pretty even in the middle portion of the ball game. That's three-seeded LSU, um, a team that's got national championship aspirations. It's got Angel Reese, who's a stud. Um, but the second and third quarters, Hawaii only got outscored by four total points. Like they played them very even. Um, yeah. Lost the second quarter by two points. Lost the third quarter by two points. Fourth quarter kind of got away from a little bit and a little bit of a slow start in the first quarter. Kind of understandable getting used to that environment where they were playing in front of, you know, over 10,000 people. But just just awesome. And I'm sure for some of the fans who made the trip, uh, there was a small but uh, loyal contingent that, that made it out to Baton Rouge. Uh, I'm sure for some of the diehards to bring back maybe some fond memories of, uh, you know, 2008, the Sugar Bowl, that 2007 season, New Year's Day, 08, um, heading to the Bayou State. Like that was, I'm sure, a little bit of nostalgia. Like that's, that's pretty cool stuff. And, um, you know, nobody expected them to win. They were 29-point underdogs covered, by the way. Um, but just just I, I thought represented themselves in, in Hawaii very, very well. And uh, anytime one of the programs gets to head into SEC country and and – uh, puts up a respectable performance. Uh, I think that's pretty darn cool. It is. And we earned our right to be there. That's the beautiful thing about March Madness is they don't just give those tickets away. You have to punch your ticket yourself. And uh, it was kind of a trying year for that Wahine basketball team where they were kind of overcoming a lot of injuries and uh, a lot of setbacks. Um, but uh made a heck of an effort through the big west tournament to punch their ticket to the big dance and you know with all this talk of potentially expanding the tournament at least the men's side to 96 teams um it takes away kind of that beauty of hey you, you gotta win your right to go to uh to the ncaa tournament and um very very cool that our wahine not only were able to accomplish that um but kind of maneuver through uh, the weeds of what this year kind of looked like for them. And uh, th this is definitely a, a a successful year. I don't know if we can quite be at that point of expecting this on a year in year out basis, but Laura Beeman's a tough coach, man. She's uh, without a doubt, probably one of our best uh, remaining at university of Hawaii. And uh, I just hope we can uh, hold on to her as long as possible, Jordan. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and, and of course is uh, on the search committee for the new athletic director. Um, no new news there, um, to bring it back to the last couple of weeks discussion. We haven't heard anything and it's been interestingly quiet on that front. All right. Uh, want to give us a big shout out to our sponsor, Spectrum Mobile and Hawaii USA Federal Credit Union. And a reminder that Hawaii football now is brought to you by Hawaii USA Federal Credit Union, originally opened in 1936 as a credit union for educators. Hawaii USA has inspired a culture of giving that is rooted in education and has since become Hawaii's largest credit union and expanded to other areas of community need that impact financial health, including healthcare, housing, and hunger. To learn more, please visit HawaiiUSAFCU.com. All right, game time here on episode 82. Uh, guest list today, it'll just be 
Hunter and I, so uh, our apologies. Uh, but now we'll be uh, spreading out the guests as we head into the offseason. It's officially kind of the lull before summer gets around, before some new guys show up on campus after the semester's over. Spring practice uh, already having concluded. So there's, uh, I think, a little bit of a bigger gap in this part of the calendar than we're, than we're used to. Uh, we're used to that gap kind of coming in between the end of the season and the start of spring practice, right? But uh, the early spring practice to get ready for the Qing renovations. Um, I know some of the some of the other Mountain West schools uh, are starting spring practice like this week, um, and so their their calendar a little bit different than University of Hawaii's. But uh, for us here in the islands, uh, now we get a a little bit of a break, if you will. But fear not, we'll be here every week uh, on Hawaii football. Now, I did want to give a shout out uh, and a big thanks to Brian McInnes who joined us last week. Uh, we went for quite a while. Uh, I invite you to actually check out his article on Spectrum News, uh, where he's their lead sports writer for everything uh, sports in Hawaii. Uh, goes into more detail on things that we talked about last week, topics we discussed. Uh, we actually kind of ran out of time, didn't get to some of the questions that our listeners posed and some others that we had. So we'll we'll, uh, we'll bother BMAC and get him back on the pod in the future uh, to get to some of those Um but, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I think it stirred a lot of discussion. I uh, heard from some folks uh, that listen to the pod. So thanks to you guys uh, once again. But uh, I think we're very interested in how that's all going to play out, right? Because you've got the Aloha Stadium issue, which we've discussed at length <laughs> on the podcast. Thankfully, nothing new to report there. Um, but, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to see the transformation of Ching, how that's going to work out. We were lucky to talk to Brian after he had talked to athletics director David Matlin over at UH. Um, and, and, you know, they're they're getting the, the expansion underway. Uh, the scoreboard was a big topic of conversation that's supposed to come over from Aloha Stadium. When that's going to happen, it sounds like maybe not in time for the season. Uh, some of the greater renovations as well to the practice fields across the street um, that'll turn into a soccer and track venue. Uh, I think exciting to a lot of folks as well. Uh, but did you, anything you wanted to dive into a little bit deeper after our conversation last week, Hunter? Yeah, just real, real quick. I, I think they're, they're citing su supply chain issues um, being the main culprit for not being able to get the uh, stadium officially from Halava to Manoa, <laughs> which uh, it's just kind of comical for us where, uh, uh, is that supply and chain locally? We can't put it on a truck and drive it over or, uh, yeah, the, um, the H one can be a bit of a, of a supply chain issue, I suppose at certain times of the day. That's right. Getting, uh, m maneuvering the exit from stadium, uh, onto H one and then up and over red Hill. And then man, during, uh, during, uh, airport traffic, I don't know if it's going to get here in time, Jordan. I don't know if we're, we're going to get the, the, the truck here to Manoa, but before, before our game against Stanford. So uh, we, we need to worry about traffic. That's the first thing. But uh, I wanted to just touch on that for a second, where perhaps we don't need an additional Megatron-esque stadium with the um, the video capabilities and uh, the, the interactive environment. Uh, if you recall, although a stadium really only ever had one in the, I guess that would be the, the EVA uh, corner of... The, the stadium but however we do need some additional scoreboards around ching just for basic understanding of our fans of time on the on the clock 
the quarter, and the score. If you're sitting at certain points of, I guess, the, the Malka uh, end zone, it, it is next to impossible to see the uh, the lone scoreboard at Ching, Ching Field, in, including the uh, ESPN Honolulu uh, broadcast booth, which is just above that uh, on the Malka side of the field. We can't even see this, uh, the scoreboard from inside the booth. So um, I'm posing that as an alternative, uh, again, I haven't checked the supply chain availability on these uh, just yet, but pepper in two or three of those at various other portions of the stadium as kind of a band-aid until we get the big one in place above, uh, I guess that would be the Les Murakami uh, Stadium that overlooks the east end zone of Ching Complex. I wanted to kind of hear what you had to think about that, Jordan. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think it's it's important <clears throat> because at the end of the day, it's the it's the fan experience, right? You you want yeah. to make it an inviting atmosphere, um, a practical atmosphere for fans to come and enjoy, but also you know stay current, right? They they want to know what the score is. They want to know how much time is left. Um, and it'd be great if everybody was locked in eyes on every single play. Uh, but you know. They're going to the concession stand. They're spending money at the food trucks. They're they're buying beverages. Um, so they're going to miss some of the action. And heck, even if you're sitting there and watching every single play, like you're going to lose track of down and distance. You're going to lose track of, of how much time is left. It's just there's a lot going on. Um, and so I'm with you. And, and what you were talking about kind of just reminded me of what it looks like inside of the Stan Sheriff Center, right? Which is just a it's still such a terrific venue. Uh, and really kind of an advantage for all of our arena sports mm. within the Big West Conference. But I think, right, you've got the jumbo, you've got the the big jumbotron in the, in the middle of the arena, especially helpful for, for folks sitting a little higher up. But, but but basically in each corner of the floor area, right, there's there's the strip scoreboard yeah. above each tunnel. Um, and it's really easy to see the score. Like it's really easy yeah. to find out the score. Which is important in sports like volleyball, right? Because they're, they're scoring on every single play, and um, and so the the, the pace is pretty quick. Uh, obviously, in, in basketball as well, where uh, you know the scoring is is fairly constant. But just something like that, right? Something simple. Um, it doesn't have to be the massive scoreboard like at Aloha State. It'll be helpful for sure, especially when you get some video up there, kind of like we see um, in the parking structure side corner. Uh, where the current situation is and and something something like that you know and, and uh, uh, they do have the clocks up sort of in each end zone uh, play clock. the the play clocks uh there's a game clock on the diamond head side right the murakami side there's a there's a game clock there as well um if i if i remember correctly i know there are multiple game clocks well even um, the, the even the play clocks are only a couple of feet off the ground they're kind of attached to i guess you'd call it the wall of those mm -hmm. of those bleachers on the east and west uh end zones and really that's just for the players um it it, it is kind of helpful mm -hmm. for fans to be able to see that but that affects playability coaches mm -hmm. and players have to be able to see those so Personally, I'd like to see those a little bit higher up as well, um, just because if uh, you're on the, the sideline and someone's in your way, you're not seeing those things. Um, but uh, th that's been kind of, 
I don't want to use the word Jimmy rigged, but uh, maybe they 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 found um, a creative solution on chain complex to put those play uh, those play clocks down on the field level where perhaps we could get similarly creative with uh, some additional, um, you know, single row scoreboards. Maybe we put them over near the um, those those skybox esque environments on the uh, the south end zone. Um, th- there are places that uh, I don't know if we've we've tried to uh, incorporate just yet. Yeah, and I I think you know that's that's probably fair to say, right? I, I, again, I think it's um, a bit of a compliment to to the folks down there at the University of Hawaii that they were able to just get some of those play clocks and game clocks up, right? Because you're dealing with a lot. Um, you're dealing with, you know, makeshift stands that don't have infrastructure built in when it comes to electrical. And so you, you've got to put them where you can get power to them, right? It's going to yeah. be tough if, if they're all the way at the top of the bleachers or, or whatever. Um, and so, and, and that's why I, I mean, I kind of said it jokingly, I think the other week, but maybe it's an option, you know, it, a non-electrical scoreboard, like you see it like major league baseball games, right? Where it's, they got windows and every time there's a score, you just pop in a new, a new sick. like know, a rig. Some, yeah. That something like so that. Sick. And it doesn't have to be big, you know, it no. doesn't have to take up the entire outfield wall or something like that. You don't need an out of town scoreboard. You just need, you know, two rows. They get those at golf tournaments all the time. And, and time. you know, and those are, um, Although I guess they are going more and more digital at some of the golf tournaments that I've seen uh, with some of those mobile boards. But the old school um, ones, there, there's a, I don't know, like a warmth, um, a human touch to them. Yeah. You know, you just need the two rows, right? Hawaii on the bottom, whoever's playing on the top. And and you basically just need two columns. It's not like you got to put 18 different scores for a golf tournament. You don't have to put nine different scores plus the, the hits and the errors for a baseball game. You just... You know, maybe somebody scores a hundred, but really all you need are two rows or two columns, right? It's like, and then every score, which doesn't happen constantly. All We're hoping that it happens fairly frequently with this uh, new version of the run and shoot. Uh, but it's not like basketball where you're you're adding a score every thirty seconds. Um, I feel like it's doable. I don't know how much one of those costs. You got to pay somebody to go operate it as well. I get that, but but if one of the students, if electrical, run. sorry, what is that? Give it to one of the students to run. I'm sure yeah, they're, they're, they're working hard anyway, right? The guys that set up the field, the uh, the Murakami grounds crew, the Stan Scherf um, crew that, that flips the court between games and all that kind of good stuff. Sure. They, they can make it work. But I, I just think, you know, if, if you're trying to work around some of the logistical issues when it comes to electrical and and some of the other things there, like there, there are other ways. Uh, I think it'd be kind of point, as you point out, uh, and, and maybe a little bit easier to fasten and, and easier to to just operate. So, uh, yeah, I think it's adding to the fan experience. Um, I know we'll get into some of the comments from our, our viewers and listeners uh, in the second half here, but I, I did want to bring up one from, from our guy, Al from VA um, because we talked about uh, the stadium or, or Ching mainly in, in at length last week. Uh, yeah. And he, he wrote um, last week on YouTube, uh, he put a Ching field measure of effectiveness because we talked about, okay, what's it going to look like? What's success look like? Right. Yeah. Uh, he said, it's not the number of seats, but how long it takes to get a beer at halftime. I thought that was great. Well, I, I, I couldn't agree more, Al. If a hundred percent agree, let, let's, let's play just the, uh, the memory hypothetical game, Jordan, if you, you were sitting in the Malka end zone or the, the, the Malka, um, I guess that's the structure 
right there. Mm-mm. Kind of the original stands, if you will. The original stands. Work your way down onto the track. And then by the time you're waiting in line, I mean, it's r- around five minutes, maybe, at the most, of being able to get something in your hands. Yeah. 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 Very I don't know how fast the line moves. Yeah. Uh, it's not quite as many options as you know a tradition traditional stadium where there's almost uh a vendor option in every section of the mm. of the stadium uh so that maybe perhaps a line could get a little long but i don't recall glancing over and there being a long line so uh in that case ching is uh pretty effective yeah i would say so i think there was always a line at the uh you know the heineken tent but uh, it w- it was never like a ridiculously long line or anything like that. Nothing that you would be surprised by, I think. Um, and that that is one of the nice things with the food trucks as well. Some of them obviously a little more popular than others. Some of them you're going to wait longer than others. Um, I thought it was cool. I thought it was uh, fun that they 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 made that um, made that happen. Uh, I don't know exactly what the plan is. I don't think. Um, uh, and I'm not sure if Brian touched on that last week, exactly what the plan is going forward, right? As they build it out more and more, as they kind of enclose the the horseshoe or the bowl more and more, like are, are, are food trucks still part of the equation? Are they looking at more permanent infrastructure when it comes to, to concession, kind of like we see at Murakami or at Stan Sheriff? So, um, but yeah, I, I think the uh, measure of effectiveness so far, I, I think that gets a passing grade in terms yeah. of how long it takes to get your beverage. Totally. And kind of the... Um... What's yet to be discovered, too, is the uh, walkability for for the stands where after they go and get a Heineken in, you know, those corners right there, you're really within, you know, 10, 15 feet of the corner, the corners of each end zone. Yeah, you're really close to the field. You're right down there. And uh, just from certain things like security and um um i don't know proximity i'm i'm interested to see if they if they look at that a little bit uh just from you and i uh, where we're a part of the media it seemed fairly easy for just about anyone to kind of walk through uh the the, the crates right there or the um uh the, the metal gates and kind of uh, come right down on the field if they really chose to um I felt like security was okay, but uh, I did wonder if they would try to take that a little bit more seriously in years to come as, as well. So uh, again, all of that is yet to be discovered, but uh, something uh, something worth uh, thinking about too, I think. Yeah, I think as they bring more and more people in, right, the, especially if you're looking at doubling uh, last year's capacity at some point, it's gonna the game day logistics are going to change, right, when it comes to game day management and things like that. And I'm excited to see what they can do. Uh, because I think they've done a pretty commendable job so far uh, when it's come to to getting Ching viable uh, and and actually playable for this program. So yeah, hopefully uh, just maybe maybe a couple more scoreboards, not necessarily the big Aloha Stadium one, just something, just something around. They'll they'll figure something out uh, for the, for the fans to uh, to be able to utilize and heck, even the maybe the teams even to utilize totally <laughs> uh, throughout the game. All right, uh, switching gears here. Um, if we close out the first half of episode 82, uh, some Canadian related notes, uh, a few different guys at different points of their careers 
uh, all University of Hawaii alums. Uh, we've got Blessman Ta'ala, the uh, mainstay at defensive tackle for the University of Hawaii over the last, was it five years, six years? Uh, dude never missed a game, seemingly was here forever. Uh, one of the sturdiest football um stalwarts to come through the program here in recent years um it was announced that he's uh actually the first hawaii player uh and first from american samoa to be invited to the cfl global combine uh so he'll be going up to canada uh edmonton to be exact uh here in the coming weeks for a uh for a combine for the cfl so that's that's pretty cool stuff uh, cortez davis former defensive back for the university of hawaii has signed with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, so best of luck to Cortez there. Uh, of course, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. June was there. Uh, guys like Jeremiah Masoli were there. Uh, some Hawaii ties along the way as well. Uh, so many Hawaii ties to the CFL. Um, before we get to the third guy here, uh, which I think is maybe the biggest news uh, of the, the trio of news items we got uh, out of the CFL, or at least out of Canadian football this past week. Uh, any thoughts on uh, Blessman and, and Cortez and, and hopefully looking to both continue their, their playing careers up north? Yeah, uh, I had a little bit of experience uh, playing in France. Um, uh, I guess I'd be semi-professional. And uh, the unique thing with kind of what they're trying to do with the game internationally is give guys opportunities from different countries. And so that's what this CFL global combine is all about is I'm sure you're going to see a ton of guys from Germany and from different parts of Europe, uh, potentially um, down in South, uh, South America too. You, you'll see every once in a while guys peppered in uh, with the NFL getting chances Um at rosters from different parts of the country. They're really trying to expand the game in that way. And uh, additionally here, I'm 90% sure that Blessman still holds citizenship in American Samoa. And I bring that up because the CFL is only allowed a certain amount of American players on their roster. Um, it's part of uh, their rules north of the border. And uh, they look to fill the roster as much as they can with Canadian-born players and international guys uh, to ultimately make room also for American guys um, to fill the roster. So I wanted to just throw that in there where I think a guy like Blessman Ta'ala is um, kind of a, a perfect fit to be up in the uh, the CFL just with what he brings to the table and his um specific uh i get i guess you call um it's not just citizenship but uh how he fits into their mold up there how how they kind of have to play by those rules so um best of luck to blessman he uh was a rock um the guy looks old fashioned i don't know how else to put it uh but whenever you look at him he's uh just got that beard got like he's made out of stone or something like that and then throw in there he uh had did he have the most uh the, the most starts uh, of anyone at uh or something like that uh it was close yeah it was i i forget if he he had the record or but but he um ridiculous right i mean he, he never really missed a game in his entire career uh the the dude yeah i think i think the cfl might be a pretty good fit for him right it's a it's a bit more of a wide open game it's a bigger field 12 players all of that good stuff 
Um, but for for a guy in, in Taala that um, you know maybe a little undersized and trying to chase the NFL yeah. dream, uh, but I think kind of perfect for uh, the CFL game where he's a little smaller, quicker, um, and, and could really do well on a bigger field um, with more space. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see him there, and, and hopefully Tez does well as well um, up there and a chance to to continue on. A lot of guys with Hawaii ties um, have found a lot of success up north, whether it's guys like Chad Owens or or even local products, right? Like um, Junior IU, some of these other guys. Uh, heck, Jeff Reinbold uh, was another guy up there in Hamilton, yeah. uh, right now part of the University of Hawaii staff, uh, made a long career up in Canada uh, and was always sort of a proponent of getting Hawaii guys up there. Uh, of course, maybe no better career Um for a Hawaii alum, Hawaii alum north of the border, than Solomon Elamimian, right? Uh, longtime BC Lions linebacker, uh, Hawaii's all-time leading tackler uh, during his time at the University of Hawaii. Of course, younger brother of uh, defensive backs coach Abe Elamimian, currently on the Hawaii staff. Still, he is. I think still the last guy, and he, I meant to look this up. He was the either the first guy or the first guy in a really long time. And the CFL goes back over 100 years, right? It's got a much longer history than the NFL. Um, he won the league MVP as a defensive player. Like that's how good he was. Um, ridiculous. Uh, Chad Owens, of course, won it um, during his time in Toronto where he was terrific. Um, but, but Solomon did it on the defensive side of the football, which is like unheard of, right? Like yeah. it never happens. Not just defensive player of the year, like most – I think it's MVP, not MOP up there, um, of the league. Uh, and he has been named after retiring just a couple of years ago. He was playing up until um, about COVID. Uh, he has been named to the class of 2023 for the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. So he's going to be a Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Like, and I think absolutely deserve like one of the most decorated linebackers in the history of that league, especially in this modern era. Uh, one of the obviously the most decorated tackler in the history of the University of Hawaii. Uh, but just want to give Solomon a, a, a huge congratulations. Um, that's awesome. Like it really is. Uh, and he made himself quite the career. Uh, I know last time I uh, got to talk to him, he was kind of making a home for himself up there in the Vancouver area, uh, which is it's a beautiful place. I, one of my favorite places I've ever been to Vancouver, uh, British Columbia. Uh, so, so just awesome and, and well-deserved as he'll be, he'll be a hall of famer here shortly. Yeah, that's, that is awesome. Uh, you don't need to go to the NFL to still achieve success. And uh, I think he, in my mind, is one of those trailblazers for University of Hawaii, um, opening the door of uh, what's possible. Um, you know, I still see his name in the locker room of uh, guys that have played professionally and they they really honor what he's done over there. And um yeah, to be anytime put in the Hall of Fame of whatever you do and uh, encased as one of the best literally to ever do it. Um, I wonder what color their jacket is too, Jordan. I'm not I'm not certain about that, but uh, <laughs> that is uh, that is pretty stinking cool for uh, for Mr. Solomon. And uh, man, I, I just hope that this continues to just open the door and uh the minds of our players of, of potentially what could uh, happen for their own careers. Cause uh, he was in their shoes here at university of Hawaii and uh, with uh, maybe not as good of um, 
facilities as what we have now. And it just, it just shows, uh, Rolly used to say it all the time. If you can play, they'll find you. And, uh, he showed that he could play over the course of his career. So I think, uh, yeah, this, this could bode well for our recruiting and, uh, UH as a whole for, uh, for years and years to come. Yeah. I think that's, that's a huge angle to it, right? How, what does this mean, uh, for the current state of affairs? Uh, and I think, you know, anytime that a coaching staff can go into recruits, living room and point to you know the fact that hey we produce professionals at this program you know some in the nfl maybe some guys in the xfl that we've been seeing doing well uh you know shout out to guys like cole mcdonald or the canadian football league right and and look it's not just an opportunity but you can go up there and make a living you can make a career out of it great money up there that's that's the misconception that it's not the gargantuan contracts that the NFL makes, but at the same time, it is a seriously respectable living playing in the CFL. Yeah. And, and look, you could, you could be a hall of famer like Solomon Elamimian. Right. Um, and Hey, by the way, his brother helps his coach here. And uh, you know, we've got connections. We've got, uh, we've got uh, relationships. Uh, coach Reinbold, all that he has up North of the border, right. All these guys, um that, that that have experienced timmy chang playing wise right it it's it's got to help right when 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 you're talking recruiting that that hey that you can point to some of these guys that that are going on to to professional opportunities like it's a it's a pretty big deal holy no it it's it's expanding your mind it's expanding your mind of what's out there of what is possible and this is, um, I think, one of those examples. If I was a coach on this on this uh, this coaching staff, I would be citing as, you know, a, a, almost a a dream creator for our guys of what could potentially happen, um, especially guys that are becoming seniors. Of hey, maybe this could be you one day, mm-hmm. um, because it's uh, it's attainable whenever it happens to someone, uh, not just from our team, but you, you mentioned it, the, uh, the brother of coach Abe, look at him. He's right there. Uh, it's, it's attainable. It's almost, um, within, you know, um, within the reach of, of players, uh, certainly in their minds. So this is, uh, something that hits close to home for all of us. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's just good stuff, Jordan. Anytime something good like this happens to one of us, it gets all of us alumni excited. Yeah, and speaking of, uh, I I should go follow up on this, but uh, didn't uh, didn't our guy J.R. Hemsley sign uh, like a futures contract last year? Um, for shoot, I forget which of the CFL teams, but uh, I think that was kind of his path forward as well as he was wrapping up that that uh, indoor football league season That's last right. year when we got a chance to talk to him. So we might have to might have to follow up with J.R. See exactly where he's at right now. Uh, but it's it's really cool, and you know, especially nowadays with um in large part uh, ESPN's coverage of it. You can watch so many of the CFL games on the ESPN, ESPN plus all the games that are on TSN, which is sort of their, um, their station up North as well. So it's pretty cool. Uh, All right. We'll take a a quick halftime break. We'll be back on the other side. We'll get into some of uh, your viewer comments as well as uh, some, some less exciting news out of the recruiting front. Uh, for the University of Hawaii. We'll be right back on episode 82 right here on HFN. This is Hawaii Football Now from ESPN Honolulu. 
All right, back with you here, second half time on Hawaii Football Now, episode 82, Jordan Hunter alongside. Glad to have you with us, as always, here on the pod. Uh, we'll get to your listener comments, your viewer comments here in just a second. Um, but we were talking about some of the positives. Maybe you can spin it in recruiting with the, the guys getting opportunities in the CFL, as well as Solomon Alamimian being named to this year's class for the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Some uh, less encouraging news, I guess you could say, uh, on the recruiting front. Uh, Domota Peko Jr., of course, uh, son of longtime NFLer, uh, former NFLer Domota Peko Sr. I think a lot of people will remember him from uh, his time in Cincinnati with the Bengals. Uh, he posted on his social media uh, late last week uh, that he was going to terminate his national letter of intent and reopen his recruitment. Uh, you'll remember he was uh, a guy... Uh, Domota Peco Jr., that is, who kind of committed to Hawaii late in the process, um, took his time with it, understandably so, um, and played in the Polynesian Bowl, waited to the, the traditional signing period in February last month. Uh, and I don't, I'm trying to remember, I don't know if he actually signed on signing day. Uh, it may have been a day or so after that. Um, a guy, kind of a nice hybrid outside linebacker, defensive end, rush guy. Uh, could play in coverage, very athletic, also had a ton of catches and yards receiving as a tight end, slot receiver, big body, uh, projected a bit more on the defensive side of the football for the University of Hawaii. It had seemingly come down between uh, San Jose State and Hawaii uh, in his recruitment. <clears throat> as I remember, um, he had some offers from, uh, from some other uh, group of five schools as well. Uh, ended up signing. Oh, I guess he did sign on February first. Uh, looking back at the yeah, timeline. he was the, the second crew of people, the the later uh, signing period guys. Yeah, yeah, and so you know, and um, his verbatim statement that he posted on his social media accounts. Uh, the University of uh, Let me get this here. Uh, he said, uh, "Quote first, I'd like to thank God for the opportunities He's blessed me with, and also like to thank the University of Hawaii for believing in me and the opportunity." After talking and praying with my family, I've decided to terminate my national letter of intent to the University of Hawaii and reopen my recruitment. Please respect my decision. Thank you and much love. Uh, end quote there. So it, it's kind of interesting, right? It, so many so many of the, the traditional ways of recruiting, whether it's verbal commitments, whether it's uh, national letters of intent. Uh, and I, I think it's still the same where you can terminate a national letter of intent, but I think it's got to be a mutual thing, right? I think that the, the university has to also agree to release you from your signed commitment um, unless that that never quite got processed. Um, look, I, I got to imagine that from, from the University of Hawaii standpoint, there won't be very many cases, and I don't think this is one where you're going to fight it, right? It's just you got to try and and not burn bridges, you got to try and keep up the the sense that hey we're we're player friendly as a program right even if maybe you're frustrated by the fact that that he's asked out of his national letter of intent i don't know what the situation is i don't know if there's something that that's going to end up keeping him closer to home um you know i don't we we've seen that in the past right we're we're local kids um before the transfer portal um would come back to the University of Hawaii and would be granted granted immediate eligibility eligibility because of some family hardship 
or something of that nature that that um, you know they made the case that they needed to be closer to home. And so I I, I don't know. Um, there hasn't been a ton of reporting on uh, Pecco Jr. And and so that's why I was kind of I was kind of curious. I hadn't seen a lot. I was trying to verify, make sure this was his um, his accounts, uh, and and did see it picked up a, a few different places. Even twenty four seven sports hasn't really officially. Um, it's kind of usually where I had to, um, pronounce that, uh, you know, Pecco is out of his national letter of intent. And, and so I, that leads me to believe maybe the university of Hawaii, um, that had paperwork hasn't been processed or never got processed or, you know, may, maybe Hawaii is still in the cards. I don't know. May, maybe that's still an option for Pecco. Um, right. And, and, and if it is, especially if you're, you're coach Chang, right. You're, you're not going to try and and burn that bridge or give them a hard time or anything like that. Um, I think folks on the outside end are going to be like, well, what's the, what's the point of a national letter of intent? Uh, you know, and man, you're dealing with, with 18 year old kids who are making huge life altering decisions. And again, I, I, I really have no idea what, what led to this decision. Um, and, and I wish him the best. And and I hope that Hawaii's still in the cards. Maybe he ends up, at the University of Hawaii at some point, whether it's this season or down the road. But uh, I think for the University of Hawaii, like you got to keep these doors open, right? You know, you never want to burn a bridge. You never want to close a door, just like we talk about with maybe local kids who end up signing with a mainland school, you know, a good amount of them find their way back home. And so you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to burn the bridge. Uh, and so, yeah, this one, this one caught me off guard. Uh, and I think he was a guy, a lot of people were excited about getting. And, and it's, as it seems now, we're unsure what the future is uh, for this recruit. No, that, that's exactly right. It's the kind of, I'm going to use the word annoying part of where Hawaii is situated with recruiting, where you can't afford not to keep doors open. You just can't. And uh, Timmy's mentioned that, uh, that we will continually just be a doors open uh, program because of uh, the transfer portal, because of the new possibilities that are afforded to student athletes of being able to maneuver their way through their college uh, football and uh, student experience uh, pretty much wherever they want to go, <laughs> uh, whenever they want to go. That's kind of the perception uh, that might be different from conference to conference and school to school, but it's certainly more um mobile than what uh, it was when you and I were going through college, Jordan. And um, the, the line though, that is kind of funny to me, I'm just going to be honest is please respect my decision. Well, buddy, you just signed not, you know, more than a month ago to come and play at university of Hawaii. And um, you know, it is kind of a sign of, we've got a young kid here trying to make a big life decision probably for the first time in his, his life. But um, I, again, I, I think I'm, I'm going to be kind of firm the, the way that I was raised Jordan and I'm going to continue to be this way is, Hey, you gave your word. So uh, you still could transfer, but uh, in some ways you, you owe it to those guys because you gave them their, you gave them your word. Um, who knows? Who knows uh, what what went down in this process? Uh, if there was um, family decision making, um, they don't list if uh, 
you know, if a guy was on scholarship or if a guy was uh, um, being invited to a preferred walk-on uh, position that, that I believe, Jordan, I don't know if we're privy to that information. So, you know, when you consider that, then all kinds of other questions about uh, financial capabilities and um, uh, being able to swing it as a student athlete uh, come into the picture. There, there, there's a whole lot more things that um, are required to get a, a student athlete over here in classes, in the classroom, in the university, um, housing. The, the, there is a hundred different boxes that need to be checked in order to get a guy to successfully put on the pads and on the field. So there's a, a bunch of different circumstances that could be at play here. Um, and, uh, you know, of the 29 recruiting guys to just see one decommit is, uh, is, is still encouraging. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I'm still confused as to how it all works, you know, cause, cause guys do get the transfer portal option, right. Where they can leave once at any time. Um, I don't know how that works. If you just signed a national letter of intent, I, you know, uh, it's, it's all new. We're all learning, uh, how this all sort of plays out. Uh, speaking yeah. of recruits, um, did want to get into one of the comments we got a couple of episodes ago from our guy Al um, about Ezzy, Eddie Jose Katia. Um, he is the sprinter um, from New Australia, Zealand. represents New Zealand um, in international track and field and international athletics. Um, never played American football, bit of a rugby background. Uh, I think caught a lot of people by surprise when he signed during the early signing period. Um, and, and, um, got a lot of people excited because of his speed, yeah. like he's a world-class sprinter. Uh, and so our guy, Al from VA asking, um, you know, he, he is, uh, run a few slower times in the hundred than, than last year. Uh, I think uh, Al from VA found a time where he recently ran a 10 to seven in the hundred meters. Uh, he also like 11 days ago, ran a, a 10, one, six, I believe it was. So, so shaved a bit of time off, of, off of the time that uh, he, he, he's bounced around in his times. Uh, but he, Al took that as maybe a positive sign that he was running a little slower. Cause maybe he's bulking up a little bit for football. I love it. I love the, uh, the investigative, um analysis here from our guy al from va because he did run like a 1008 last year yeah. uh at the world championships uh he compared it to guys like dk metcalf who was who was run in some some track events at you know dk's what is he six four um like 225 plus 230 he might even be bigger than that quite honestly um with his muscle mass and so um you know he Al's kind of asking, you know, what what are what, he's curious as to what the the University of Hawaii's plans are uh, in terms of a strength and conditioning approach, uh, where they want to get him, um, how he's going to look in a run and shoot type of offense if that's indeed where they plan to play him at receiver. Um, you know, how soon can we see him on the field? Is he like a this season guy? I don't know. Right? I, I think it's going to be hard to say until until they get him on the field. Um, we do know that he is a world-class athlete. Uh, maybe it is putting on some muscle to get him ready for the rigors, uh, of a football season and taking hits. Uh, but I love that our, our guy Al from VA here is, uh, digging deep, man. He, he's, he's following 
he's uh, he's locked into some of these recruits. Um, throw him a go route, Jordan. That is the answer. As long as we can uh, give uh, Shager or whoever our starter is uh, a little bit of time to let uh, Eddie Osei Neketia, which uh, our guy Al also deemed Eon, the acronym E-O-N, which I think is super fun. As long as we allow Eon a little bit of space to, one, beat a jam, we're going to have to teach him how to do that. Um, and you let those long legs stretch. Um, I can't imagine anybody catching him at that speed right there. So, oh man, that 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 gets me excited. Just daydreaming about the possibilities of what this guy could do on the gridiron for us. And uh, yeah, if you have speed like Tyreek Hill, um, it takes the top off and it it allows for so many other um, things to be incorporated here. I would uh, I would hardly ever include him on routes over the middle <laughs> just to protect him um you you don't necessarily need to throw to that speed all the time you, you allow that speed to create other options for you so um i'm sure our coaching staff is is considering that as well but if you played rugby i'm sure he's a tough kid as well so this is a phenomenal find a phenomenal job by our recruiting class i mean our um a recruiting job by this coaching staff of thinking outside the box. And it's worked for us in the past with um, rugby guys like Scott Harding uh, from similar pathways down in Australia. And uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting. I'm not sure what, you know, coach cook's plan uh, is specifically. I, next time I see him, I'm definitely going to pick his brain on molding, you know, a, a sprinter into more of a, uh, a football type of a body. Mm -hmm. um, he already I, I think they've got him at six four don't they Jordan so something like that yeah he's, he's a big guy dude's giant so I I don't imagine us uh limiting him to the tight end position um we will probably put him as wide as wide out as we can possibly try to uh throw out there and just send the dude on go routes it's uh that's a good time I hope that the secret of Eon kind of stays with us until we sneak him on the field and he runs a 60 yard go route for a touchdown. Yeah. They, uh, looking back at the notes from signing day, when he signed, uh, they listed him at six, five, two, 10. Jeez. You so, can't uh, teach Jordan. That is, yeah, that is awesome. That's a good frame right there. That's a good frame. Uh, so we'll see, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. We'll see if maybe indeed he's bulking up a little bit, uh, to get ready for a football season. I I'm not sure even the plan exactly when he's, plan to get to campus or, or anything like that. Cause you know, dude's running uh, international track events. Uh, yeah. he's, he's been busy here as of late, um, whether it would be a summer guy or, or exactly when, when he's going to enroll, um, in the program. So that'd be kind of interesting to see. Uh, all right. Uh, a little fun conversation on a bunch of different topics here today. Uh, going to wrap things up, uh, before we head on out of here, a little closing two minute drill for the overtime. Uh, I just wanted to mention how much fun, uh, Shohei and Trout was to uh, to end the uh, World Baseball Classic yesterday. Like how how ridiculously cool was that? Um, and all the haters who um, say the World Baseball Classic is meaningless and um, just a risk to player health for for their Major League Baseball teams. Like I mean, just the entire tournament. But what a showcase! The international buzz, um, and then to to get a, a situation where it's it's Otani on the mound, Trout at the plate, one run game, uh, three two counts. I just 
you can't write a script like that. It was ridiculous. Uh, and so I, I'm I'm a uh, big proponent of the World Baseball Classic, and uh, I'm glad they're continuing it. You you think uh, it doesn't matter to those guys? Well, Shohei's pitch spread was a hundred hundred. 102 and that splitter was 86. <laughs> he gave Trout everything he had. That is awesome. And fans of the sport, fans of all sports, to get two of the best in the world facing off against each other. And it's an added dynamic because they're teammates in the majors um, who don't ever get to face each other. Um, this is awesome, Jordan. It's you know similar to golf where players will consider um, contracts to the live golf tour if they aren't able to play in the Ryder cup. Um, it matters to these guys being able to represent their country um, playing in team like environments like this uh, and put on the U S of a, or in Shohei's um, case, uh, putting Japan on his chest and representing his country. They go crazy for baseball in Japan. Um, this was in my mind, the, the most successful World Baseball Classic that they've ever done. Um, obviously, we may, we might be a little slighted right here because of uh, it just happened. So it's it's most top of mind. But I can't think of one in terms of significance and players um, being bigger than this. And uh, I hope that we can kind of parlay this uh, into Major League Baseball because baseballs need a shot of adrenaline in the arm for a long time. And uh, – this is uh, phenomenal for the sport and uh, a heck of a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, almost to a man, everybody that took part in the Classic uh, said it was as much fun as they've ever had, some of the biggest games they've ever played it. Trey Turner, who played in a Game 7 of a World Series and won a World Series, says that that game that they won in the uh, the Homer uh, quarterfinals yeah, yeah, against Venezuela, or was it the semifinals, um, said it was the, the best environment, biggest hit he's ever had. Uh, yeah. So that just, I think, kind of sums it all up. Uh, and that'll sum it up for us uh, as we head on out of here. Big thanks to our guy, Jonathan, on the controls. Big thanks to Spectrum Mobile and Hawaii USA Federal Credit Union as well. Uh, Mahalos to Hunter. We'll see everybody back here next week. Episode 83 coming your way. We'll see you next week on Hawaii Football Now. Hello, everybody. You've been listening to Hawaii Football Now with Jordan Helley and Hunter Hughes, all from ESPN Honolulu.